University students extraordinaire from La Mirada, California. We welcome them. God bless you guys. And you can exit out that way. That was good. Whether you're watching on the NRB Network, DirecTV, Channel 378, or listening on AM820, The Truth, we welcome you. Um, Heart of the Matter can be seen here, live television. Uh, through streaming video at www.hotm.tv, in our archives at the same website, and all over the web, especially at youtube.com. Wherever you're watching, we welcome you. Bible study every week, Sunday from 2.30 to 3.30 at the University of Utah. All are welcome. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information. <clears throat> Matt wrote and asked, what do you mean when you say it's never denominational? Uh, and that's the same as non-denominational, except... It's never going to be denominational uh, in the Bible study. All people are welcome, all faiths, to come and hear what the Bible has to say. Heart of the Matter is replayed on AM820 KUTR, The Truth, every Sunday from 1 to 2 p.m. So as you're driving up to the University of Utah, uh, you can tune in to AM820 and join us there. New book, If My Kingdom Were of This World, Then My Servants Would Fight. What? If my kingdom of this world and my servants would fight, <clears throat> a believer's refusal to join modern Christian culture. What is it really? It's a biblical response to the likes of men like Glenn Beck. Uh, where can you get it? Right now you can get it at www.hotm.tv. Order it online. If you get it through us now, you can also get a copy of the Bible versus the Book of Mormon. It's free. It comes with the book. So we just team those up. Uh, hotm.tv. Also, the book that sort of started it all, uh, I Was a Born Again Mormon, is available at Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Christian Gift and Bible, Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake, Utah Lighthouse Ministries, Oasis, Oasis Books in Logan, Gift of Grace in Springville, The Living Word Bookstore in Twin Falls, Idaho, <clears throat> Christian Sinners Books in Park City, <clears throat> excuse me, and of course at HOTM.TV. Last we got uh, this year, we are getting behind the Salt Lake City Rescue Mission and their drive to help keep less fortunate people warm. Join us by bringing your new and gently used men and women's winter coats right here to the lobby of TV20. There's a box out there between 9 and 4 
uh, p.m., 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. TV20 is located right off uh, the I-80 on Redwood Road at 314 South Redwood Road. Uh, the coats are really needed and greatly appreciated. Mary, my wife, was rummaging through some old boxes and came upon a book. Oh, where's the book? Where's the book? Oh, here it is. Uh, that was supposedly written by an LDS powerhouse apostle. He was an apostle when I was a kid. His name is Mark Peterson. Now, remember, LDS apostles claim to be exactly like the 12 apostles Jesus chose. When the original 12 were alive, they spent their entire existences sharing Jesus uh, crucified, risen, to, with such passion that they were uh, taken, and all of them but one was martyred uh, with a very horrible death. And the LDS apostles today, well, they travel around the world, always first class, by the way, always first class, and typically only mentioning the name Jesus Christ, typically, when they conclude their talk about the duties that you need to perform when you're LDS. <clears throat> oh, and they also write books. Uh, some of grave importance, like this one that we found by an apostle when I was a kid, and it's titled, Virtue Makes Sense, with an exclamation point. Hey, what a novel way to get our kids to be virtuous. Of course, there's ch chapter headings in here like, Petting is Evil. And he goes on and talks all about ways in which uh, humans can overcome the, uh, the terrible nature of our sexuality. Now, uh, where biblical Christians try and live lives that um, are supported through spiritual rebirth and then spiritual growth and then spiritual maturity to help them uh, reach a place where they can be virtuous, um, Apostle Marky e. Peterson was known for his ever-so-humanist attempts at keeping people virtuous through some of his own apostolic suggestions. Now, in fact, it was this spiritual genius, Apostle Peterson, who gave us these nuggets of wisdom in the 1970 Mormon Missionary Guide, and this is regarding the subject of, I'm going to call it mastication. Uh, we will call it self-abuse. This is what Apostle Peterson wrote for missionaries out in the field. First one, he wrote, graphic. When you bathe, do not admire yourself in the mirror. Never stay in the bath more than five or six minutes, just long enough to bathe and dry and dress, and then get out of the bathroom into a room where you will have some member of your family present. Well, thank you, Apostle. That was excellent. Now, the next one says, when in bed, if that is where you have your problem for the most part, dress yourself for the night so securely that you cannot easily touch your vital parts and so that it would be difficult and time-consuming for you to remove those clothes. By the time you start to remove protective clothing, you would have sufficiently controlled your thinking that the temptation would leave you. Next one says, If the temptation seems overpowering while you're in bed, Get out of bed and go into the kitchen and fix yourself a snack, even if, even if it's in the middle of the night, and even if you're not hungry, and despite your fears of gaining weight. Now, listen, I took that advice, and I eat a pizza every night at one in the morning. And <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Okay, next one. Listen to this. This is an apostle. Listen to what he writes. Listen to this. Next one. Be outgoing and friendly. 
Force yourself to be with others and learn to enjoy working and talking to them. Use principles of developing friendships found in books such as How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You cannot. Now, we're coming to my two, two or three of the final ones that I love. Here we go. When the temptation to masticate is strong, yell stop to those thoughts as loudly as you can in your mind and then recite a pre-chosen scripture or sing an inspirational hymn. So uh, anyway, that's a stop. <laughs> Call to servant, heaven the kings of glory, chosen. I mean, <laughs> now these final two are my favorites. You ready? Listen to this. I am not kidding you. Quote, in the field of psychotherapy, there is a very effective technique called, aver technique called aversion therapy. When we associate or think of something very distasteful with something which has been pleasurable but undesirable, the distasteful thought and feeling will begin to cancel out that which was pleasurable. If you associate something very distasteful with your loss of self-control, it will help you to stop the act. For example, if you are tempted to masticate, think of having to bathe in a tub of worms and eating several of them while you do the act. This is sickness, my friends. And this is what teenagers and missionaries were cutting their teeth on from the apostle, the apostle of the Lord. Uh, reduce the amount of spices and condiments in your food. Eat as lightly as possible at night, which is sort of kind of self-contradictory because he also says get up and eat. And, but he also says eat as lightly as possible. So I know, and my all-time favorite, here we go. In the very severe cases, it may be necessary to tie a hand to the bed frame with a tie in order that the habit of mastication in a semi-sleep condition can be broken. You know, I am almost certain that had Peter and Paul been allowed to live long enough, they certainly would have included all of those suggestions uh, in, the, in their Gospels. What do you think? How about some emails? We love and appreciate your emails. And uh, here's a sampling of this week's favorites. First of all, we got some scathing emails from the viewers last week over the program. Some as far away as London, Australia. Um, this one says, my wife and I are huge fans of Part of the Matter. I personally have watched all 250 shows. Your ministry helped us out of Mormonism. And has been, uh, we have been blessed to be able to help somewhat with contributions. So what I say below, we say in love. Uh, tonight's show and several during the past few weeks have been technical tragedies. Whether it's new equipment, new operators, operator errors, or some other problems, these mistakes are making the show almost unwatchable. For the first time in five years, I had to turn off the end of your show tonight. It was just an embarrassing mess. Hopefully, you'll have a chance to watch back so you can see what you did on the air. I want you to know, uh, we appreciate that this email represents many. We appreciate your desires for quality. We desire it. We pray for technical quality and we work hard to try to understand the equipment. Try and understand that nobody appreciates uh, technical difficulties, but when they happen, um, we do our best. Last week, for instance, I could not hear a single thing coming out. I did not know if callers could hear me. I could not hear the callers and we were kind of left. The bottom line is this. We're a small ministry that works hard to get things right. When things go south, you're not going to see me get flustered and start worrying about technical things. 
uh, we just keep trying, okay? On to another criticism. This is from Anne who wrote, uh, I wanted to share something with you on the way you spoke on your program January 11th. Sean, one must remember who is watching your program and to say freaking is certainly not showing people that you are someone to be listened to. You come on each week too looking unkept, shirt unbuttoned, sleeves undone. What is with the scarves and growing another beard? Come on, Sean, clean up yourself so that the LDS who tune in will see a well-groomed man and possibly they will respect what you have to say. Remember, the LDS are conservative people and they do base their opinions on um, appearances. Just something to show that appearances are important to the LDS. And also, please, do think before you speak. It's what an adult does. That's what I was taught as an adult. So, Anna, a good Christian viewer, I want to tell you a couple things. I don't know if I could ever make this clear, but let me try. We are not trying to reach LDS people who, who will turn the channel due to my appearance. Um, there are a hundred television preachers, pastors, teachers who have the appearance that are very conservative and they do nothing to reach those LDS either. The Kool-Aid drinkers will never change in the Mormon church. Even uh, if I got on here and I looked like Joseph Smith reincarnated, they have their faith come hell or high water. Those dyed in the wool are not changing anything. We're trying to reach a segment of people who, while being LDS, see through the facade of what they've been living and they really want truth, but they're not sure how to get it. They have beards often. They are unkept often. They drink beer and they smoke cigarettes. And again, a clean cut stalwart with the, uh, is not gonna reach those types of people. But with the loss, my appearance and the show and my demeanor, sometimes it strikes a chord. Now, sometimes that chord is dissonant and they say, I hate that guy. I do not like how he talks or his appearance. I'm going to prove him wrong. And they go to utlm.org and they start doing their homework and they find out, hmm, can't prove what he's saying wrong. And then sometimes it, it, they resonate to it uh, with uh, uh, clarity and, they, and they, they appreciate what we're saying. And so we reach them that way. So I hope you'll consider this. And secondly, I don't dress up for the show. Um, what you see on this show is how I uh, dress. Years ago, I had a Christian friend come to Huntington Beach where we live, and he uh, was representing the way of the master, and they were at Huntington Beach Pier, and they were uh, street preaching to people out there. And he said, you, will you meet me for lunch? And I said, yeah. So I got on my bike, and I rode down to the pier. And he was standing there, and when he, I rode up, he looked at me, and he said, you look like all the other freaks down here. Okay, that was out of his mouth. Now he's down there trying to reach those freaks, right? And I said, you know, this is where I come, this is my home. This is where I come from. I would suggest if you're going to do the way of the master, you might not want to have that attitude toward the freaks that are walking around you, you know? So I refused to dress up for people. Uh, the day I walked away from Mormonism, which required that I dressed up for them and pretended for them for 40 years. And to be frank, and my heart is really set on reaching people who can see beyond clothes and, and beards. Okay. Uh, Wayne S. wrote, uh, the cross oh, on your stage had a, a horseshoe hanging on it. We're sorry about that. Didn't know who did it. And we since removed it. Ryan uh, wrote, I have a question for you. Uh, 
if John and the three Nephites never died, that's Mormon doctrine or Mormon teachings, I should say, how did the priesthood totally leave the earth during the alleged apostasy? John, that's not a question. That's really just a, an observation that is true that you need to ask a Latter-day Saint. They say there was a worldwide apostasy, but John the Beloved and the three Nephites never left the earth. They're walking around, so the, the priesthood remained, okay? And then finally, Bill C. in Idaho. We're going to try to read that one a little bit later. All right, if you recall, we are um, going through the Word and just picking out uh, some verses through the chapter. So let's go to Matthew chapter 2 from the Word. So we're just going through, and I've been reading, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 2 last week and the week before we did Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 2, the very first verse, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there was a wise man from the east. There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Okay? Was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Uh, as a Mormon, I was unsure because their most correct book on the earth, the Book of Mormon in Alma 710 states, And behold, how shall, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers, she being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel, vessel, who shall be overshadowed and conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost and bring forth the Son, yea, even the Son of God. So admittedly, Bethlehem is only five or six miles from Jerusalem. That's not that far. Is this such a big deal? Bethlehem was so important to God that he specifically mentions it all the way back in Genesis. Then Micah, when prophesying of Jesus coming to the earth, also specifically used the town's name saying in Micah 5.2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Notice that um, he makes a point to show that the Messiah would come out of a little place called Bethlehem among thousands of larger, more prominent places like Jerusalem. But this Bethlehem was an important place to come from. Interesting that Joseph Smith in the most correct book on earth said he was coming from Jerusalem and didn't give the same notice God did in the Bible. We move on to verses 8 and 11 in the same chapter, and then we'll close up with, a, then we'll end this intro with a prayer. But when I was in the Mission Training Center in Provo, uh, Utah, back in 1982, renowned LDS apostle Bruce R. McConkie came and he spoke at BYU, and he rebuked an LDS writer named George Pace for publishing a book about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. As a missionary, I was allowed to attend this public scourging of poor Brother Pace. And in his epic speech, uh, uh, Apostle McConkie, now dead, made this statement, quote, We worship the Father and Him only, and no one else. We do not worship the Son, end quote. However, what does Matthew chapter 2 have to say? At the time of Christ's birth, the wicked Herod, he kind of took the wise men aside and he duplicitously lied to them and he said deceptively in Matthew chapter 2 verse 8, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. 
Matthew's narrative continues in verse 11, the same chapter it reads, And when they, the wise men, were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him a gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wise men fell down and worshipped Jesus as a child. But Mormon apostles like McConkie say things like, we do not worship Jesus Christ. What and whom do you trust? Twelve times in the Gospels, it reports that some individual will run up to Jesus and worship him. Never once did Jesus stop them from doing that. And if any and all worship is supposed to only be directed at the Father, I can assure you that Jesus would have stopped anybody from worshiping him if it had been incorrect, but he didn't. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. God in heaven, we need you and love you. And we pray you'll be with our staff and our technical difficulties, the people who are searching for truth, that their eyes may be open, their ears may hear. We thank you, Lord, for supporting us and for the people who support us with prayer. And please uh, help the ministry to continue according to your will and ways. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 21, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, where did you get the authority to do the stuff that you're doing? Instead of answering them, Jesus replied, if you answer my question, then I'll answer your question. He said, the baptism of John... Where did it come from, heaven or from men? I think that there is perhaps no better question for us to ask ourselves when we are approached uh, with people's presentations of truth, with their inspirations, with their demands and their doctrine. From where does this come from? Does it come from heaven or does this information come from man? Your pastor tells you that you are biblically mandated to go out and street preach. Is this from heaven or is this from man? Your neighbor informs you that you, if you recite specific prayers, you will receive specific answers from heaven or from men. A televangelist cries that Jesus wants you to get out and fight against the gays and to petition and, and protest against abortion clinics and to fight in the streets for Christian rights from heaven or from men. With just as much importance, every believer ought to also ask themselves, how can I tell what is from heaven and what is from men? Now, the Mormon church has an entire history of revelations and practices that their leader said came from heaven and not from men. Joseph said he translated a book that he found buried in a hill uh, that was made of gold into a book called the Book of Mormon. He said he received revelations from God that were compiled into another book that the LDS calls scriptures. He said he translated yet another book from some Egyptian scrolls. And was, were they and what, were all these from heaven or were they from men? How can you tell? Mormonism's founding prophet said that he received two types of priesthood, an Aaronic and a Melchizedek priesthood. He said he received a restored temple endowment. He said that polygamy was an eternal principle and he practiced it to the tune of 33 wives and that God was literally a man just like we are men. Was this from heaven or was it from man? Brigham Young taught as a doctrine that Jesus will not atone for specific sins, that Adam was God the Father in the flesh, and that black men would never have the right to hold the LDS priesthood from heaven or from men. 
It has been well discussed here on the program that the LDS claim they can tell if these things are from heaven or from men by their feelings, by what seems right and what feels right to them in their heart according to God's will. And from this LDS system of sensory verification, millions of people have deduced, assumed, presumed, and believed all sorts of practices and beliefs and teachings came from heaven, even though they obviously originated from the minds of men. But is modern-day Christianity really any better? In my opinion, the key to knowing the source of something is built right into the question Jesus asked the Pharisees. How were the Pharisees to know if John the Baptist's work was from heaven or was from men? How were those men supposed to know? Was it through their feelings? No, they know the same way they determined everything was either from God or from man. By whether it was written. It is written. And if it was written, they would know whether it came from heaven or whether it came from man. But the, their traditions blinded them so badly they couldn't see John the Baptist and his uh, prophesied uh, mission. They couldn't see Jesus Christ and him being the Messiah. It is also by referencing the word of God, by referencing the word of God, that we as believers can tell if something is coming from men or if it is coming from heaven. Now, certainly true Christianity agrees on the core essentials of our faith. We all embrace what we call the Trinity. We, uh, we embrace the idea or the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he was God incarnate. We agree that he was crucified, that he was resurrected, that he will return, and that we are saved by grace through faith. These are the core Christian values that the Word teaches us. But shouldn't everything that we seek to exemplify as Christians be reflected in this sacred source. It should be, but, that is it, but it isn't carried out that way today. And because it isn't, and because many Christians today have embraced the very same LDS epistemology on how they can know truth, what they feel is right, what they believe a Christian behavior should be, what they have conveniently concocted as a means to have their way in society, the body is potentially headed for some very shaking, shaky ground led by Pied Pipers who are claiming Jesus wants us to do certain things. Turn on any Christian radio station today and just listen for a few hours, especially at midday. I can assure you, you will hear at least one program making it seem like it is our Christian duty to protest and fight against the immoral elements of this fallen world. I can assure you that quite often their messages will often feel right and that they will sound Christian and that they will tug at your heart by appealing to your uh, moralities and to your Christian sensibilities. Now, it would not be good or fair reporting on my part to mention Joseph Smith's revelations or Brigham Young's doctrines on Adam, God, and blood atonement, and not to also look at our own insidious history of man-inspired beliefs and icons. In doing so, it's my hope that we can stop the body from merging with Mormonism and the like and their man-made effort to cleanse the world of sin and to even try and govern it theocratically. I want you to take a look at this photograph for me that we're going to show you on the screen. Let's hold it up there for a good five seconds. 
Boy, that hair is looking bad. All right, look at those guys. Observe these men. Their countenances, their clean-cut demeanor, they're all American smiles. They're very appealing, aren't they? The blonde guy on the far right, his name is Paul, Reverend Paul Hill. The man in the center is named Reverend Michael Bray. And the guy on the end in the sunglasses, he looks like Reverend Greg Johnson here in Utah, but it's not. At least I don't think it is. <laughs> but we don't really know who that guy is. Okay. You see those guys? Look at them. What do you think? Okay, let's come back. Now, you can't see it, but these guys are holding a sign in front of them that's hand-painted. And it says, is it wrong to use force to stop the murder of innocent babies? <clears throat> My feelings say no it is not wrong to use force abortion is a heinous social ill <clears throat> and me as a christian needs to do everything i can to stop it my uh christian sensibilities tell me something needs to be done in jesus name and he wants me to fight for the unborn my emotions tell me jesus wants me for a sunbeam to burn away all this wickedness okay but none of those responses that I feel and sense and believe as a Christian are supported by our Christian source, the Bible. In fact, there is nothing in the New Testament that indicates Christians should or could take picket signs, form protests, or seek to legislate morality as a body to protect our rights. We now have rights as Christians. Jesus says, hey, you're gonna be persecuted. You're going to be tried. You're going to, be, you're going to lose your rights. Humbly move forward, head bowed, looking to the kingdom on high. But no, today we fight for our rights, don't we? In fact, over the coming months, I'm going to prove that the Bible actually presents just the opposite of what we're doing in the body now. Somehow, two of those highly educated, highly well-groomed, smiling, happy men in that picture we show you came to believe quite the opposite of what that text that we trust suggests. And they're not alone. Going back in the fourth century AD when Christianity unfortunately became a state religion, the church began to abandon its pacifist stance in all areas as supported by the early church fathers like Origen and Tertullian and began to embrace a doctrine called just war, which was popularized by Cicero and later developed by Ambrose and Augustine to have impact. The idea of Christians supporting just war spread, as ideas are wont to do, and Christian military forces were approved under the umbrella of two major unbiblical justifications. One was called proportionality, and the other one was called legitimacy. Proportionality stated that fighting was authorized by God, according to these men, if more people would be saved than lost. And legitimacy said that any social and military warfare must be endorsed by the established ecclesiastical authority. And welcome to the beginning of the end of Christianity in general, doing what came from heaven and instead doing what came from men. Because of violent persecutions against heretics, infidels, and minority groups, and this great abuse started under the Christian idea of a just war, Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century affirmed that war is always sinful, even if for a good cause. But this is just talking about war. <clears throat> what about other worthy causes out there, begging for our attentions as our believers, which are not biblically mandated? 
As mentioned before on this program, the Inquisitions and Crusades were just another expression of the same thought, that a Christians have a duty, that we even have a right to ferret out evil in the name of Jesus and stamp it out of existence. Nine Crusades starting back in 1095 AD when Pope Urban II called for all Christians to rise up and overtake Jerusalem were the result. These ended three centuries later. 300 years later with thousands of unwarranted deaths. The 13th century inquisitions were the medieval church's attempt to unearth heresy. Their methods include burning people at the stake and torturing the suspicious. The Spanish inquisitions in the 15th century were aimed primarily at Jews and Muslims who had converted to Christianity, but they just wanted to, make, they wanted to investigate them to make sure that their conversions were sincere. More torture, more death, all in the name of Jesus, our Lord, all from the mind of men. We're going to pick up here where we left off next week, and I'll include in telling the stories about those happily smiling Christian reverends, Paul Hill and Reverend Michael Bray, and their just war against evil in this modern time. But for now, let's open up the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Please have your questions or comments ready. Uh, Aletheia Ministries has a number of things we make available to you. You can watch any Heart of the Matter free of charge, download it, watch it at the site. You can go to calvarycampus.com, listen to our radio broadcasts. Uh, you can order books, um, and you can access some wonderful products from Israel. Check this out. And we're back. We really appreciate those of you who support the ministry through prayer and financially. If you uh, are interested and so inclined by the Lord to do that, uh, you can uh, contest, uh, contact us through the telephone, 888-868-4686. It's on the screen. You can also email us at sean at aletheamedia.com and you can write us at the address that they'll be flashing up on the screen from here on out. Before we go to the phones, this is from Bill in Idaho. It said, <clears throat> the last election cycle here in Idaho brought out several citizens running for governor. One, Rex Rammel, ran as a conservative. He is LDS. Things were going steadily great for his campaign until it was learned, and then the word spread that a meeting held in Twin Falls was targeted to the Mormon priesthood only. I will tell you that the Christian community did not take this with a grain of salt. In fact, it is my belief that eventually the doctrine of the church was then studied about this move to a theocracy run by the Mormon priesthood holders. It was at this point that the Christian community pulled the plug of their support to Rex and his campaign immediately deflated and was never revived. 
it was somewhat odd that he never seemed to grasp why the Christians here in Idaho refused to embrace his idea that it will be the Mormons who will save this country through their priesthood, essentially negating the hard work and dedication from the Christian community as a whole. It was sad to read how Rex never quite understood that Christians will likely never embrace Mormonism, no matter how uh, craftily veiled it is for public consumption. Let's go to uh, Paul in Salt Lake City. He's LDS. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Paul? We're going to do this again. Speaker. Paul, can you hear me? Paul, you're on the air. Yes, hi, John. Hey, um, I have a question about authority. Um, being that uh, uh, the Mormons, you, you having been LDS, you know the Mormons really emphasize authority? Yeah. Okay. The only churches that I know of uh, uh, that, that claim authority from God are, are the Jews, the Catholics, and the Mormons. The Jews all the way through the Bible... The Catholics got it from Peter, and the Mormons claim they got it from administering angels. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, and so important is the issue of authority that the Sadducees and Pharisees, just like you mentioned on your show this evening, came to Jesus and said, by what authority do he be seen? Yeah. And he answered, and you know, yeah. he said, well, let me ask you first, was John's baptism of man or of God? Right. Okay, Paul. Well, I, I realize you're setting the... So let me get to answer your question on authority, okay? Okay. Oh, and also, let me just add one other thing, Sean. We know that God is not the author of confusion. Confusion. You're setting up a straw man argument here, and I, you're just going to, you know, and uh, actually you're setting up an argument here, and I'm not going to let you do that, Paul, because I'm going to answer the question about authority, okay? Okay. Okay? The Jews, Paul, they had, a, they had absolutely a lineage that operated by authority to do the things that they did in their temple and around. You had to be of that lineage. You knew of that lineage by virtue of their extensive genealogies. Exactly. Okay, in, 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 in Jerusalem in 70 AD, uh, Titus came in and the temple was completely burned and all those genealogies were lost. When Jesus was... No, no, they're genealogies that are showing what... The Jews do not know what tribe or who they come from now. They don't know who can officiate and who can't. Okay? Hold on, hold on, John. The, the Jews know they came from Judah. The Jews know that they came from, uh, from Jacob, from Israel, but they don't know where, they don't know what their lineage is. They don't know if they came from Aaron or not or from Kohath. They have no idea because their genealogies were destroyed. Now, you can check that out on your own, but here's the point. When Jesus died... The, the veil was ripped. The, the need for, for that authority through lineage is done for. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus is walking along and the apostles say, Hey, that guy over there is casting out devils in your name. Should we cast him out? He said, Those who are for me are not against me. Leave him alone. There is no, author there is no authority passed down uh, ecclesiastically for the right to do things in Jesus' name. The authority comes by virtue of your belief. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, in, in, in just a sentence, Sean, what do you say? Authority is, is, is basically kind of not necessary. That's the, I, I'm saying no. Authority is necessary, but it comes from God to you. 
Now, you can have within a religious organization and denominations, it's fine for them to have set up things for passing down and making sure you get the right schooling and be ordained according to laws and stuff. That's fine. But let me tell you something. You take a man who has not been called by God, who has all the ordinations in the world upon him, and you take another man who has been called by God, who crawls out from under a rock and starts preaching, the one who's been called by God is the one with the authority, not the one who has all the ordinations. Yeah, and that you need to read all of Hebrews before you just quote that because it's not referring just to Aaron and what he did. Read about four verses past that and you're going to see that that argument is not true. You're, but you're right. No one does take the, that honor unto themselves. But in the LDS sense, we are not talking about the laying on of hands to pass on authority. Besides that, Paul, beside all of that being said, you have to read Grant Palmer's book, Insider View of Mormon Origins, and study exactly this line of authority that Joseph Smith claimed to have received. If you understood the real story behind that, you'll find that the whole argument of Mormons having this authority passed down from Peter, James, and John, and John the Baptist is a lie. I, didn't, I don't know that. I'm not... I I, I'm not sure either, so I just heard it on the radio. But my, my conclusion was, had that been true, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, definitely these people would have become Christians because they would have been led by those prophets of old to become Christians. That's how I could tell that these, these things were not true. Um, well, remember what, God, what did God say to Ishmael when, when he was cast out? When, when, when uh, Sariah cast out Ishmael and, and Hagar, he said he was going to make him a great nation. He said he'd become a great nation. Yeah, not a Christian nation. He didn't say they were going to be his chosen people. He just said he'd make him a great nation. So I don't know if that's true that they would become... Uh, anyway, this is, a, this is a real big rabbit trail. But Paul, I, I appreciate you doing it. We got a lot of people. And, and that's the answer on authority from the Christian perspective, okay? I see. Thank you very much for your time, John. I appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to, okay, you can't hear the question. I'm going to repeat the question. Scroll back down. Sorry for these issues. I'm very sorry. Christy in Ogden, uh, she's LDS and she's a first-time caller. Christy, you're on the air. Ask your question. I'm going to repeat it for the television audience. Christy, let's try this. Christy, Christy. Good. You have to talk really loud, and I'm going to repeat your que your simple question to me. Okay, John. Is that any better? That's good. Okay. Um, I was born into the LDS faith. I was raised LDS. Uh, I guess you could have called me Miss Molly Mormon at one point. I have asked to have my membership records cleared, and I've been told that I need to be ex no, you don't need to be excommunicated from the LDS Church. Can you can the can the can the audience hear the calls now? Can they hear it in TV land? No. Okay. Okay. So the question from the caller is: um, Do you need to be excommunicated from the LDS Church? No. Um, Christy, all you need to do is go to www.utlm.org or 
HOTM.com and that will tell you how to send your letter and ask to have your name removed. In that letter, you say, I am not going to subject myself to an excommunication before your priesthood leaders and I want my name removed. I don't want a waiting period, et cetera, et cetera. And they will comply if you do that. Okay, thanks for the call. Thank you, so much for your time. Thank you. God bless you. God bless hey, you. wait one second, one second. Oh, sure. What are you going to do uh, now that you're taking your name off the LDS roll? Are you going to a Christian church? Uh, I'm church shopping right now. I know that's probably not real popular right now. Oh, no, you should church shop. You should find out what, what you are f feeling comfortable with. I think that's good advice. Yeah. And I need something that's a little more free-spirited uh -huh. uh, to be able to worship the Lord and get to know Him and not be afraid of Him. And I'm sure you know, growing up LDS yourself, yeah. that we are taught to fear the Lord. And yeah. we're taught that because I'm a single woman in her 50s that I was never going to make it to heaven. Oh. So what was the use in trying? And that just so Christy, so Christy, uh, my suggestion to you, if you're able to watch this, I'm sorry, I think we lost you, is um, go to try out uh, Alpine Church in Ogden. I hear that's a really great place. Try, there's a Calvary Chapel there. You might try, I think Mark Gomez does that. I think in Roy, there is a good church there uh, by uh, Anderson. I want to say Stuart Anderson, but it's not Stuart Anderson. It's, uh, it's another Anderson, and he pastors that church. All good churches for you to try out. Church shop, keep your mind open, and you'll see where you want to go. Okay, we are going to go to uh, Joseph uh, Jason in Salt Lake City. He's a first-time caller. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. David. <laughs> 
sex abuse life, relationships, everything. And David's just going berserk about this. And I don't know what advice I can give him. I mean, he's my best friend. Is he? Is David uh, attending uh, any other uh, church, a, a Christian church? Is he? Um, he doesn't physically attend, but uh, he uh, he worships in the Christian way, and uh, he believes that Jesus died for his sins, and uh, he is saved. Yeah, you know, it's gonna it's gonna be in, it's gonna be imperative for him to get into a church, to hear the word taught, to receive the fellowship of people of like-minded believers who can share with him the joy of the grace and the liberty and the freedom that he has in Christ to then follow Christ better and better as a believer rather than this religion. But right now he's standing kind of on his own. He's just listening to that guy berate him about getting back to the church, getting back, getting back. And he's standing on, he needs to be fueled and fed by hearing the word and, and, and worshiping and things like that. So that's my advice to him. Uh, what about just the fact that it's his family? I mean, this is causing big problems in family functions. The advice I'm asking for, I guess, is well, he, he seems to be the black sheep because everybody else is LBS. Yeah, welcome to the poor club here in, in uh, this state when you leave Mormonism. He has, a, he has a big weight upon his shoulder. He needs prayer. He needs fellowship. And it's the families that are the worst. They are the worst. But Jesus said, hey, listen, my name my name's going to divide this place up. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And, and fathers and mothers and daughters and sons and everything are chop, chop, chop. Because his name is such a reproach. I mean, your friend here is saying he loves the Lord, he believes in Jesus, but that's not enough for the Mormons. You have to believe Joseph Smith and their books and their temples and everything else. It's insidious. And then what did you think of my belief about the... Uh, I think it's... Uh, I think it is so insightful, and it is really true. If Gordon B. Hinckley was seeing God face to face, he would he say, use the term belief. not at all, not at all. Uh, we love you, Sean. Thank you so much. And uh, I will get him uh, or advise him to get into a uh, Christian faith that he can attend regularly and be surrounded with people uh, that uh, will show him the path and the liberty of being in Jesus' life. Praise God. Thanks so much for the call, Jason. Thank you, Sean. Okay, bye. You know, I have a, I, I got to say this. I have a friend. This is a true story. And my friend lost his wife and uh, not long ago. And she was in her early 40s. And it was sudden. And he works for an LDS company. And my friend has the boss of that LDS company take him into his office and sits him down and says, you need to get back into the church. You need to start wearing your garments you need to get back to the temple and seal that wife of yours to you. She was a Christian. She, you need to do that. And it's on him constantly. And it's almost like part of his job. You know, that's the pressure you guys are under here. And it's ridiculous. But stay in the Lord. Find a good Christian church, a good Christian pastor. There's hundreds in this state. Go and get your, your fill of the spirit and the word and the water and the bread of life and be filled by what Jesus can bring to you and, and, and learn about him there. And then when you step out into those family events and they're never easy, I still go to them. They're very hard. Uh, my dad just a week ago told me that my younger brothers and sisters are so very disappointed in me. I mean, I, I, it's unbelievable. They're disappointed in someone whose life changed and who loves the Lord. They're disappointed. So it's really hard for you guys, but stay true. We're going to Helen in Texas. Helen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Helen, you were on Heart of the Matter. <laughs> All right. 
let me see. This is from Jared. I'm confused why you've dedicated your life to fighting against your, what your ancestors died to establish. First of all, my parents were converts, so my ancestors did nothing but drink themselves into oblivion. So uh, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to cry for you and with you. Whatever was said, whatever strange tradition in your ward that turned you from the church, I beg for you to come back. Deep down, you know what you were born into is true. In your soul, you feel it. I'm positive your Bible studies keep leading you back to what you already know. Sooner or later, we will all die, Sean, and we will all know then what everyone questions in this life. And he goes on and talks. I want to tell you something, Jared. Uh, You're asking me to step away from the Lord Jesus giving me new life. You're asking me to step away from a new heart he gave me that gave me new eyes, new ears, and a new heart. You're asking me to step away from a power that lives within me that allows me to overcome my flesh that Mormonism could never, ever do. All Mormonism taught me to do was pretend, okay? You say that if I, as I read the Bible and study the Bible, it leads me back. When I study the Bible, it leads me further and further and further away from your LDS church headquarters. Every time I open that book, my eyes get open to something new. Just look at what we're just doing in Matthew. Can't you see the light? You see, you were born into this church and you're relying on your feelings. You rely on the fact that you go into your LDS ward and mom and dad are there and they're visiting. It's a primary program and there's nice music and everyone's dressed nice and everyone says, hello, brother, and they shake your hand. And you've had these experiences. And since you were a kid, you've had these experiences all set on Sunday. And so you believe that these feelings are really true and of God. They're nothing different than how you feel about patriotism. When you hear the, the national anthem, they're not different than when, when you watch a Hallmark program on TV and you, and you cry over Lassie getting killed. I mean, this, this is sentiments that Hollywood runs off, that, that, that churches and cults can run off. Your sentiments are nothing. You need to know what the word of God says, Jared. So you challenge me to come back. I challenge you to come out. I challenge, you challenge me to open my eyes. I challenge you to wake up. Okay? We have a thing here. Uh, we, there are some people in Ogden who want to be baptized when you come into Ogden. Uh, I can come up there in a drive in a day. So when you want to set that up, just email us and we'll get back to you. The LDS are trying to legalize polygamy. Do you think they are doing so from having problems if a Mormon, do you think they are doing so to keep from having problems if a Mormon runs for president? I I read that. That's not true. I don't believe the Mormons are trying to legalize polygamy. I think that they have always believed in polygamy. It's an eternal principle. I believe it's still in their Doctrine and Covenants 132, and they will always believe that it's going to be practiced in the heavens beyond. But they're trying to distance themselves so far from that practice so that they can be embraced politically and so they can get a a Mormon in office. So that's where we're at. We're going to try Helen again in Texas. Helen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Good. Helen, I'm sorry we're having technical difficulties. If you just give me your comment or question, I'll repeat it to the audience and answer you. We've only got three minutes. Okay. I was just calling to say hello. This is Roger Helton's wife calling to Texas. Hello. He's the author of One Salt Lake City Home. So you're talking about the conflict between Mormonism and the public trust. Uh-huh. So I just wanted to 
Okay, Helen, hold on for one second. What Helen said uh, is that her husband's the author of a book. I just got a copy of this uh, when Salt Lake City calls, and it's about uh, Mormonism and politics. It's about Mormonism and the public trust. Can they be trusted? Keep going, Helen. What she said is what they believe is in that divine authority and it comes down in every aspect of life from the prophet to the 12 all the way down when they go in their temples. They swear with their arms raised to the square that they will obey what is, comes down from the Mormon church. That means if any Latter-day Saint goes in that temple and comes out, they have covenanted before God, angels and witnesses that they will do those things. And so you get a Mormon president in there. That Mormon president, he is going to be taking his orders. If he's a temple attending Mormon, he's going to be taking his orders from the 12 apostles and the, uh, the first presidency. That's how it works. Is that what you're saying, Helen? Okay. Excellent, excellent. I'll share that with them right now, Helen. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. God bless you. Thank you. She said that her husband was doing a book signing and the poster of the book that he has written about Mormonism and the public trust was there and some Latter-day Saints walked up and they were very irate and they started to get into a dialogue and, and her husband, Rocky, said, hey, listen, if the Mormon prophet called you and told you to do something that you didn't want to do, you want to do something different, what would you do? And they said, of course, we would follow the prophet. And, 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 and Rocky Hulsey, the author of the book, said, that's exactly the point of this book that I've written. And that is why Latter-day Saints cannot be trusted with uh, public office. And that is why the Glenn Beck sway is so dangerous in this day and age. So we'll continue talking about that next week. It's like we said at the beginning of the year. This is tough stuff. I know it doesn't make it very happy with me. And I know there's going to be some difficulty. We'll work through it. Because I'm telling you, they're getting, they're stronger, they're getting more wealthy, and we're going to keep pulling out all that they're doing, including their finances, including their tactics, more on Heart of the Matter. We appreciate everything you guys do, and we appreciate your prayers, your viewership. Tell people about the show, email them, Facebook them, text them, and we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.